Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey, this is Rich Ward, the Duke of Metal from Fozzie and Stuck Mojo. And you're listening to Talk Metal because you have good taste and you know how to spend your spare time. Molson Canadian presents Heavy Montreal. August 7th, 8th, and 9th, outdoors at Parc Entrepot. Featuring Slipknot, Faith No More, Corn, and Alexis on Fire. Three full days of rock and metal with Lamb of God, Iggy Pop, No FX, Billy Talent, and many more. Festival passes on sale now. For the full festival lineup, visit HeavyMontreal.com. Produced by Avenco. Hey guys, welcome to episode 527 of the Talking Metal Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Heavy Montreal, and coincidentally, one of our guests on today's show, Rich Ward of the band Fozzie and Stuck Mojo, will be playing at Heavy Montreal this summer, and we will definitely try to connect with him backstage at Heavy Montreal for a follow-up interview. Rich is a great guy. I also had the recent uh, privilege of hanging out with him and doing a That Metal Gear segment, which is up on VH1.com and YouTube. I will link it through today's show notes if you want to check it out. And we also have Chris and Rob from the band Impelitary. Impelitary? Impelitary, I don't know. And Mitch LaFon, how are you? Co-host. Good, good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you I'm the same with you with the band with Chris and Rob. I somehow mispronounced that uh, in ways that they couldn't even have imagined. So, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, impelitary. I, 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 I think, think so. Yeah, I think that's it. But Chris I'm not sure. And, just a great, great guitar player. And uh, I haven't released this episode yet, but I just spoke to Ken Mary, who was a drummer on a lot of their albums. He also drummed with uh, Alice Cooper and a bunch of others. But uh, we've got a whole impelitary uh, thing going on so there you go yeah and and guys mitch actually conducted the interview with uh, the guys from impelitary so not only is he today's co-host on this episode of talking metal he also conducted one of the 
the two the two interviews, and you had both guys on the phone for this interview, right? Both guys at the same time, and and that made for an interesting vibe because I'd ask a question and they didn't know who was going to answer it first, so so that was kind of interesting. But they've got that new album Venom, which which fans seem to be really digging, you know, and yeah. uh, they'd be they'd be a good addition to Heavy Montreal at some point, by the way. Definitely, definitely, and let's talk a little bit about Heavy Montreal because there's been some some new additions, including one I know that you're really excited about. Yeah, you know, they added Extreme doing the uh, porno graffiti uh, album, and what's interesting is that they've put them on the same night that Corn is going to do the 20th anniversary of the first Corn album, and then you've got the porno graffiti guys doing. I think it's the 25th anniversary of porno graffiti. Um, so you've got two album shows taking place the same night at heavy montreal and and that'll be exciting and uh you know um i i haven't uh seen nuno betancourt live since probably like 1991 or so so that'll be fun to see him out there and and get him out of the rihanna uh sphere for a while that's right he is the guitar player who tours and i think even does some recording with brianna Oh, he's he's fully in, in involved in the whole Rihanna camp, so I think it'll be a good summer vacation for him. And uh, you know, hey, what a great night! In fact, uh, the guest uh, that you have on tonight from Fozzie will also be on that night. So it'll be Corn, Fozzie, and Extreme all on August seventh. So there you go, perfect, Excellent. perfect night. And that's um, that's the Friday night. That's the Friday night, yeah. Okay. Well, we were just talking before we started the podcast if uh, I would come up on Friday or Saturday, but I think that decides it for me. I'm going to need to be there to see my buddy Rich Ward on Friday with Fozzie, and Mm -hmm. they just uh, put out a a great record last year. We're going to hear a little music off of that in a bit, And, and real exciting news. I mean, Rich Ward was a part of this band, Stuck Mojo. Yep who, you know, maybe didn't have the popularity that bands like, let's say, Korn or or Rage Against the Machine had, but they were one of those bands that that really helped start the whole, I don't know what you want to call it, rap rock or, or new metal genre, and were, were definitely a big part of that. I have this big heavy metal family tree that Mr. Sam Dunn put together on my wall in the basement, and he has them listed as one of the the founders and one of the main bands in in that whole whole movement. I ask Rich during the interview what he thinks of the whole new metal term and uh, being associated with that that movement. At least the way I remember it, I asked him about that. So um, we can definitely we can definitely check that out and hear what Rich has to say. And Rich is a great guy. I really love this guy. So let's uh, let's start off with a little fozzy music, and we'll follow that up with my interview with Rich Ward. Again, Rich is the guitar player in Stuck Mojo, and of course, Fozzy. And this is from the 2014 release by Fozzy. Do you want to start a war? This is the the title track. This is a great song, Rich. You got to check this out. Start a war. Start a fire. Start a roar. 
Hey, this is Mark Striegel of Talking Metal, and joining us on the phone, we have guitarist Rich Ward, known for his work with Fozzy and, of course, Duck Mojo. Rich, how are you? Man, better than I deserve, as always. Thanks for uh, making some time to speak with you today, Mark. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for talking with us, A, and B, for hanging out with me on the set of That Metal Show and also doing the That Metal Gear segment, which I just thought was a lot of fun to be able to speak with you and walk through your whole rig that was great yeah it was great i mean there's two things that i'm passionate about and that's a guitar rig and guitar talk and then the other thing is sleep uh so yeah (laughs) (laughs) so we covered one of my passions it's perfect cool well before we started rolling the the tape here you mentioned you're in the studio working on some some drums programming some drums i think you said what what are you working on right now in the studio I'm uh, working on the new Stuck Mojo record. Um, I decided uh, we had kind of talked about the possibility of doing a new Stuck Mojo record near the end of last year, but we wanted to play this reunion show the day after Christmas to see how it went first. Just to, cause we, the four of us, have not played uh, live for that lineup since 1998. It was just important for us to all get one gig under our belt, see how the chemistry was. Um, and see if it was something that we all wanted to do. The show went killer. We had a great time. It seemed like maybe even the band was a little better than we were, you know, six years ago. And part of that could be just down to all of us have continued to work hard on other bands and projects and made a lot of records. And maybe we've gotten better individually um, in honing who we are as players and uh, musicians and artists or whatever terms. It's hard to say artist when you just play uh, bar chords and riffs and, you know, two and snare on kick and <laughs> you know, right. it's like at some point I, I get a little funny about that, that title. But nonetheless, we uh, we played the show with great and so we're moving forward with it and uh, any chance that I have that we're not on the road doing shows, I'm in the studio every day. I have a, a, a space it's about 30 minutes from my house. I uh, I, I do have a, a great home studio, but I found that it was um, putting me in a position where if I lacked a little bit of discipline, I could just walk out of the room and then I'm in my house. And so I went and bought a standalone uh, building to, to put the studio in so that I can work uh, outside of uh, my comfort zone. And so... Uh, treated the room and brought all my gear down and so I've been running on that and I have my my trusty uh, easy drummer tune track program that I have done every I've written every record for the last five or six years on it it's a great piece of software and and I've got my Les Paul and uh my Kemper right and, on. Uh, yeah so I mean I've got I've got the building blocks of making records and I've got a I've got a five-string bass here, and I've got some great uh, Ampeg profiles. And, cool. Um, so right now so, you're just demoing stuff, or you're writing? That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm writing and demoing it. Now, sometimes things that I do actually make the record. If there's a performance that I really like, uh, I'll keep it. But a lot of times, because I'm, I, I like the Kemper a lot, and I have some great profiles, but I do play differently when I'm kind of writing and demoing than when I'm, you know, uh, actually tracking for the album because my mind is more into uh, the the part as opposed to the performance when I'm demoing things because uh, I'm still trying to 
fine-tune what's the part, where's the pocket, how am I phrasing this. So a lot of times I'll, I'll listen to my demos, and they're great because they're, they're exactly what they're supposed to do, which is just kind of be uh, a blueprint for the song and a, and a chance for my bandmates to hear the jams and uh, a, a great starting point. Uh, but every once in a while, you'll have a solo that I'll play, or there'll be just some badass uh, riff that I do that I just want to keep, and and that's why it's important to, you know, I, in the old days we would use, you know, whatever, you know, I was using those that Korg Pandora, uh, you know, which is basically like the next evolution of the Rock Man back in the the '90s. That was kind of my go-to box for demoing guitars, and it never really sounded. Great. It was it was great to get ideas um, down, but it was you know it was process sounding. But things have just come so far, and like I said, the Kempers is such a great piece because they're my amps. Right on. I mean, I've got I've got all my amps modeled and they and profiled and they sound great. So yeah, it's been it's been cool. And I spent the money on good gear for my studio. I bought API mic pre's and distressors, and I I I didn't I couldn't record a band in here because I don't have. This is an overdub studio. It's it's not set up for tracking drums, although okay. we do have an electronic drum kit here. Um, and I could do um, I could do some demos, but it's not really set up for that. It's more it's more of a writing studio. And I um, I recently worked with uh, the singer from uh, Scorpion Child. I'm doing some co-writes with him uh, oh, cool. for his next record. So he came here, and it's a great studio for that because. Excellent. I've I've got a nice selection of vocal mics and I've got the preamps and you know I, I so I've got the things that that I if I wanted to if I wanted to do uh, album vocals uh, or cut you know bass stuff um, I could do it here so and eventually I'd love to have my own full kind of studio I wouldn't really I don't really see myself as an engineer producer that would uh, run a studio uh, for hire but certainly having something to to be able to create my own records. Uh, and moving forward would be amazing. Now, as far as you mentioned producing, and as far as producing the the album that you're now working on, the Stuck Mojo record on, can you fill the Talking Metal listeners in on who's going to be producing it with you guys? Yeah, um, Andy Sneap, who uh, produced our two biggest records uh, for Stuck Mojo in the 90s, uh, and he also was really involved uh, in wearing many different hats in the early incarnation of Fozzie. He actually played gigs with Fozzie for a while on guitar. Um, And he's been one of my best friends in the world for years, and he's taught me everything I know about producing. And um, I just learned so much from him. And the thing is, is that um, with, with budgets the way they are for albums, it's difficult. And Andy would, because we're friends, would help me out with, you know, giving me the friend rate, but I don't want to ask my friends for friend rates when it comes to business because that always can be kind of awkward. And Andy knows that if he ever needed me to come in and cut guitars on something that he needed me to because he felt like my playing was appropriate for it, he'd pay me because right. at some point we, we're we professional musicians. And um, But he knows that if he didn't have the budget, he knows I'd do it for him for free. But I think we've just had that kind of relationship because we've known each other since uh, I met him in 1997. Wow. I was uh, on tour with Stuck Mojo opening for uh, Typo Negative uh, in, in near his town of Nottingham, uh, England. Wow. And he, he came out to the show, uh, was recommended by Borivor, who was uh, 
Borgmore, who runs Blabbermouth, he was my A&R guy at Century Media, and he says, you've got to work with Andy Sneap. I think he's the perfect guy for Stuck Mojo. So Andy came down to the show, and uh, I'll never forget our meeting. We always laugh about uh, about it. He he came up, and uh, he said, uh, we were just kind of sniffing each other's butts, as musicians do, and... uh, (laughs) And I said, hey, just one question. Do you like the way that the Ross Robinson corn kind of uh, production sounds? He says, no, I don't like it. And, I, and he goes, I have an original Randy Rhodes pick, though. And I said, do you want to go on the bus and listen to Dio? Yeah. <laughs> and then we've been best friends ever since. Wow. wow. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was, you know, I mean, we were kids then. You know, we yeah. were. We were both kids. And, and we've, you know, grown up and had nice, music careers and it's been cool to and it's been great to see him do so well you know doing Megadeth yeah I mean he's become like this like go-to producer for metal I mean a lot of times even with older bands like except we've seen them you know him kind of recapture their uh their classic sound which the guys in except have told me they they were having trouble doing on their own before they started working with Andy yeah uh, as a matter of fact uh my friend Ed Ed Aborn, who is a friend of the kind of Fozzie family, was the one that hooked them to get up together. Oh wow! Because wow. He, he met he's very good friends with Wolf. He does Wolf's online um, uh, stuff, he, you very know, cool. his band stuff and his photography stuff. So I, I was honored to kind of be there. I actually stayed at Wolf's farmhouse when Andy was there, and they first started working on the demos for the first album. And it was interesting because they were really wanting Andy's input as a huge Except fan. And I yeah. was a massive Except fan as well. So there was it wasn't just a a sonic thing, but there was actually some prodding from Andy for them to make a heavier, more aggressive record uh, and to kind of stay away from some of the tendencies that, that Except had to be a little bit more of a rock band at times. And Which I like the rock stuff they did as well, but it was nice to kind of see that. And again, being... Being a musician has afforded me some things that um, are just as rewarding as making records, which is talking to people that I grew up loving. Um, you know, talking to Wolf Hoffman on the phone, or you know, talking to Zach Wild on the phone. Like just being friends with people that I grew up thinking were the greatest of all time, and now I'm working in a field with guys who I'm, um, you know, like fortunate to kind of be buddies with which has been great you know absolutely i want to talk to you about stuck mojo and just their influence on what has kind of become known as this new metal genre a lot of times when people talk about new metal they say oh well stuck mojo is kind of one of the if not the godfather of that whole movement how do you feel about that title Uh, a lot of people in the press there's kind of this love hate relationship with the term new metal and is is that something that that you like hearing when when it comes to your band stuck mojo or or not I don't really have an uh, an opinion on um, uh, making. Well, I don't have a judgment on how people want to describe what it is that Stuck Mojo does because uh, I hear Queen records, and the same Queen record that somebody else hears and describes a certain way, I may describe differently. And so I I'm okay with if someone likes Stuck Mojo and says, "Hey, you guys are new metal, or you're rap rock, or you're." crossover or your rap core i'm listen i'm just 
thankful that anyone e- even listened to us. And if they like us, man, that's even a bonus. So I, I tried to get too emotionally attached to all of the kind of labels, because the truth is, is that in 1989, I'm a rock metal kid living in Atlanta, and glam metal was the big thing, and there was a all-black rock band from Atlanta called Follow For Now, and I was fascinated with the idea of this kind of crossing of cultures in music. Um, and the Chili Peppers were doing it, even though there wasn't a racial component. There, there certainly was this this cultural diversity that felt so different from what, you know, Dokken and, and uh, Slaughter and some of the other winger, those bands that were really big at the time, especially in Atlanta and the South. It was like you had Southern rock and then you had hair metal. Right. And that was what was big. Um, and I still liked those bands. It's just that I was... I was really attracted to then I then I then I was very fortunate to um see an advertisement that had Lars Ulrich uh being quoted as saying go see this band they're one of the greatest bands of this generation and it was Faith No More and I saw them in a club playing in front of nobody right well. and and I was just blown away by that like here's guys who didn't look like anything I'd ever seen before playing music that was nothing like I'd ever seen before and that was the catalyst for me, you know, creating Stuck Mojo was just trying to find a little plot of land that I could stick a flag in and say, this is ours. Right we on. don't sound like this. We don't sound like that. And then I started getting into Morbid Angel and, and heard Sepultura. And then I, uh, Devin Townsend strapping in Lad and then Fear sure. Factory and Machine Head. Like all those bands were coming out in the mid 90s. And we started, like I said, in the late. 80s. I mean, Suck Mojo formed in 1989, but we were still a young band with young players, and we were still trying to figure out who we were and what the formula was and how was our chemistry, because we went through a few lineup changes. But we, I think we just were doing something honest, and we had a black rapper and a black bass player and a white metal guitar player and a white metal drummer, and it was just so different because it was a clash of cultures and it was a clash of styles. And sometimes you end up mixing some things together that works. And sometimes it sucks. And there may be even people that say, hey, well, I, I thought Stuck Mojo sucked. And fair enough. I, who am I to say what you should like and not? But we were doing something pretty different and it right. was unique. And we were still playing in these, these little dirty dive bars all over the southeast and it was like just seeing people's faces going it was like i guess the first time that you ever saw a black a black trumpeteer walk into a jazz club in like the 20s or something it was like yeah. wow. it was the craziest thing it was just it was great and I, I it was empowering to me to like be part of something so different um and i never tried to be a funk guitar player i was a metal guy it was just how how my influence just cross-sectioned with our funk reggae bass player and our rapper who couldn't sing anything because he had no idea about melody. He was just a pissed off black guy who had a rough life, who'd been in prison, who just had, he had a story and had an outlook on life that I just had no idea even existed. It was only, that culture only existed on TV and in movies to me. So it was, it was that clash of cultures and clash of style and approach to music that made us, I thought, a really good band, which is why I still love doing that band. Like, I, I have great success with Fozzie, and we do 
great things, and I and I make money, and I love my bands, and but it's a different animal. When you walk on stage with something that's slightly dangerous, and I don't mean to the audience, I mean to me, too. Like, there's an energy, and there's something that happens in Stuck Mojo that is very unique, and I it's almost like a drug for me, and I really like it. Cool. I, and also, it allows me to, you know, write... Uh, the beautiful thing about having a multicultural band is you can say things you can't say when you're a bunch of white guys in a metal band. You can right. say counterculture things that you're going to get a pass on because there is a, a diversity of race and there's a diversity of ethnicity. And and that's the one thing that I I really love is being able to, to do things that other bands can't, which is pretty freaking cool. Absolutely, and and let me ask you now. I know you've had a relationship with Frank, the drummer that has gone on, you know, uh, for for years and years. But what about the other guys in Stuck Mojo? Did you have to really straighten things out? Did you have to address some of the the problems that caused them to split from you and Frank in the first place? Uh, and how did that go? Um, the first the first meal because we didn't even rehearse. What we did is we I just said let's just get together and have a meal and sit at a table together. We hadn't spoken in years, and it went great. Everybody was hugs and love and this and that. But the truth is is that the four of us are never going to get along like brothers again. There's just too much, like, riding around in a van. Because Stuck Mojo, there was something... We were on a, a, uh, an independent metal label, Century Media, before Century Media was a big label. I mean, we signed with Century Media in 1994, and we were their biggest-selling U.S. band until we broke up in 2000. And they went on to have Lacuna Coil and Shadows Fall and some other successful bands. Right. Um, but when we were on the label, they were still a small independent label in the States. And we were riding around in a van playing 280 to 320 shows a year. And we just didn't do a good job because we were young. We didn't do a good job being friends to each other and communicating properly and the counterculture clash that made us so powerful also caused us to have lots of problems as well because we did see the world through different glasses. And it yeah. was just... So it's an, it's, an, it's an imperfect marriage, but it's one that's worth working on uh, because the end result is so good. And I always remember people saying that, you know, if uh, Pete Townsend and, and Robert, Roger Daltrey got along great, Maybe it maybe it wouldn't be as good a band, and maybe there's something to be said between the Mick Jagger, Keith Richards tension and friction that oh, creates yeah. something magic. And so I keep that in mind um, when we're working together. That that maybe that that anger that we we rage in each other's faces from time to time. Maybe that's good for creating something that is a little more dangerous than the average radio rock band. That's to me, there's so many bands writing great songs, but they haven't given me a reason to care about them. Like in the last five years, there's just such a barrage of bands that there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of good stuff, but I don't know that I believe it or I don't, it's just something about it. And when I play in Stuck Mojo, I know it's real. Right and and there's something magic about that. So yeah, even though there was a lot of band aids and uh, crutches that needed to be dealt with um, and applied to our relationship, 
there's still a lot of open wounds, and I don't know how it's going to moving forward. Honestly, I haven't said this to anybody out, outside of my manager. I don't know how long it'll last because it is so volatile. But it's worth it's it's the crazy girlfriend relationship or boyfriend relationship where the sex is so good that you just freaking you work on it. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Good <laughs> or, analogy. Yeah, it is. It's, I don't know. It's Fleetwood Mac. It's all those things, except for we're not nearly as good and as talented as them. <laughs> but there's something magic there. And, I hear you. And it's, it's worth working through. Well, I can't wait to hear what you guys come up with. And when do you think we would hear uh, a new release from, from the reunited Stuck Mojo? Well, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to self-finance the record um, so that we're in a better position when we're looking for a, a home for it uh, with the record label. So we're doing that this summer. We're not crowdfunding it. We're just going to pay for it ourselves. Uh, and we have, uh, you know, four or five labels that have said we want it, not shown interest, but said we want the album, please. So we know it's going to be easy to find a home, but once the album's done, instead of us asking for money up front to make the album, we'll just ask them for a marketing plan and a, uh, a distro plan and, you know, to let them hear the completed album. And then we can hear them uh, tell us what they're going to do with it. And I, I would hope that we're looking at a first of, you know, January, February of next year. Excellent. I think that's probably realistic because we won't even be finished recording it until the first of August. Um, Andy's coming over here to Atlanta uh, for the month of July, and then we'll mix sometime in August. So, you know, and you know how you, you've been, Mark, you've been around the music industry long enough to know you can't shore up a deal in a month. It's going to take a little time, and then there's going to be set up and all that stuff. So I imagine, imagine we can look forward to something first the next year. And before we go, I do want to talk to you, of course, about Fozzie, your band with Chris Jericho. I am psyched to see you guys this summer. I'm going to be up in heavy Montreal, the massive festival up in uh, Montreal, Canada, and you guys are going to be up there playing. I hope we can hook up after the show. And where where did you actually first come in contact with Chris Jericho? Um, I met him backstage at a WCW wrestling event at the uh, arena in Greenville, South Carolina. And Stuck Mojo had done a music video with a few wrestlers um, and put out uh, a video for a song called Rising. And, and, and we were doing some cross-promotion stuff with WCW, which was Ted Turner's branch of professional wrestling. And Chris was, was employed by WCW at the time. And I met him backstage, and we just got to talking about music, and we loved the same bands. We were both massive Maiden fans, and then we were like, and he was like, man, I love Striper. I was like, dude, you love Striper? I freaking love Striper. <laughs> cool. And then we were, you know, we were going crazy just talking about all the bands that we grew up listening to, and he was like, I love Kick Axe. I said, man, I saw Kick Axe open for Judas Priest on the Defenders of the Faith tour, and we just had one of those, like, immediately, we're going to be best buds. And... And we and Fozzie started off as a cover band. That's all we did. We played Priest Maiden, except uh, Motley Crue. We, we were just a, we had fun playing covers, and that's it was a great outlet for me to get away from Stuck Mojo because that, at that point there was tons of tension in the band as as always. And Chris, being a professional wrestler, had a, a crazy schedule, but occasionally he would have time off, and he played bass and uh, and sang when he was in high school um you know never never anything beyond kind of 
small high school dance stuff or or the small club shows in Winnipeg, but it was a passion for his uh, for him, and and the band just without any kind of blueprint moving forward or any preconceived notion which happened. Fozzy Osborne, as it was called back then, yeah. became a serious band, and we started making records, and and here we are. You know, we're here 16 years later. It's wow. crazy to even think about. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and, and I I will never quit doing Fozzy because it is a fun, amazing band, and it again it it it, it nurtures me musically in a different way or satiates me in a different way. It's it's a it's more of a polished metal band. It's a two guitar band, so it it, it speaks to a different side of it because there right. is a little bit more. I write for that band differently. I write more tight metal riffs, and uh, it's it's a little more melodic. Um, where a stuck mojo is dirty and a little greasier and a little, little looser on the on the outside. So one, if if uh, Fozzie takes a little bit more from uh, Metallica and Megadeth. And Stuck Mode takes a little bit more from, you know, kind of um, uh, the Pantera and the Van Halen side of things. You know, right. The, and, the, the approach. And I mean, I thought, you know, Do You Want to Start a War, the, the album you guys put out less than a year ago at this point. I'm talking yep. about Fozzie, of course, at this point. Uh, was really diverse. I mean, you guys were really hit a lot of different musical styles on that record and, and just some great stuff on that record. Thank you, man. And, and that part—that's part of the beauty of that band—is that it allows me to write uh, a lot of different things, you know. Because Chris, that's the one thing about Chris is that he, because he kind of started his career like learning to sing stuff from other artists, that he became really good at having uh, an ability to kind of change his voice, so he can he can do some ballady stuff, or he can do some really aggressive guttural stuff, or he can sing melodically. It makes it easy for me to to really write diversely. So if I if I want to do something that's a little bit more ethereal and a little bit more open, I can do that, or I can do something super heavy and aggressive and up tempo. So it's again, you know, for me it really comes down to um, I don't do it for the gigs anymore. I, I do really enjoy playing live, but that's like if if I'm scoring things that I love about music, I score playing live like a seven or an eight. Being in the studio is a perfect 10 for me, even when I have rough days and I'm not playing well or my writing is not where I'm not coming up with stuff that I'm feeling great about. My passion is creating and that's just where my heart is right now is, is, yeah. So, so I'm looking forward to doing a new, new fast record as well. We've already started kind of really wow. that. Yeah. So, I mean, if you start on it, as soon as we finish the Stuck Mojo record, if I start working on Fozzie material, it won't be out until next summer anyway. So you have to start thinking in terms of getting things moving sooner than later. Otherwise, you know, I'll start thinking about Fozzie way too late, and then we'll be two years later before the record's out. Right on. Well, Rich, thank you for joining us on this episode of Talking Metal. Again, I hope to see you in person this summer up in Montreal. And maybe we can even have you back at that point for uh, we're going to be set up in the press tent doing like live podcasts and stuff. So we'd love to have you back on at that point. That would be I'd be honored. Uh, as as you said, we we got to hang out and I feel like we struck up a great kinship. Um, and so please uh, feel free to if you have any more questions about uh, what it's like to be a crazy kid living in the Georgia suburbs, please call me and uh, <laughs> I will. <was, laughs> 
And I will look forward to seeing you at Heavy Metal Montreal. Thanks for your time, man. What you just heard was my interview with Rich Ward of Stuck Mojo and Fozzie. Mitch and I will be checking out his band Fozzie, which of course has Chris Jericho on vocals. We'll be checking them out at Heavy Montreal this this summer. We hope to see you guys up there. Today's episode is brought to you by Heavy Montreal. We played a little commercial for them at the top of the show. And if you're, you know, you're down in the States, especially in the Northeast, there's really no excuse the, for not attending this concert because there is really something for everyone, you know, from Slipknot to Extreme to Lita Ford to Pentagram to uh, who else, Mitch? Uh, they've announced Gajira, Abath. Right. From France. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Devin, T- Lamb of God, Bullet for My Valentine. Um the band that everybody seems to be really excited about is Alexis on Fire, which for some reason has the, the younger generation really excited. I get a lot of or um I get a lot of people saying, Hey, I, I need to go see that. So cool. we'll see. You know, we'll see. See what they're we'll see what they're all about. And uh uh Coal Chamber is gonna be there. So no, it's it, it's a great, great festival. I, I look forward to it every year. And of course this year they've expanded to three nights instead of two nights and uh you can't go wrong. Uh, you know, I've, I've started interviewing some of these guys for the, the one-on-one podcast. Uh, I just, you know, I had Don Dawkins, Ray Luzier of Corn on. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to it. getting getting excited, actually. Cool. So I know we just posted the episode with, with Ray, that I'm talking about one-on-one with Mitch LaFon, uh, your podcast. We just posted that episode. What What's next? Will it be the Don Dawkins interview for next week? Yeah, we've got uh, Don coming up, and and what was great about the the Don interview is I asked him about George Lynch, and I said, listen, let's forget all about the negative stuff. We know that. Uh, just tell me about that first day he joined the band, and what did you see in him? Let's stay positive, and and he gave me a really great answer, and and, and it was nice to hear uh, Don say, hey, he's a great guitarist, he's a great this, he's a great that. It, it it's a little bit different than the. Oh, we broke up and I can't stand him stuff that we've heard over the last 15 years. So definitely check that out. But yeah, Don, Don is going to be coming up next. We've got, uh, uh, and you know, Jim Pederick of Survivor came on and did a little thing. And the next one after that is going to be Don Dawkins. So in a week from now about. Cool, cool. And I just saw this band Muse in concert on Friday, just uh, put on just a great show. Their new record is coming out, and it's produced by Mutt Lang. And speaking go. of Mutt Lang, he uh, produced one of our favorite bands back in the day, Def Leppard. And you just saw them in uh, in Canada, up in where? Mon- right in Montreal. Yeah, Montreal. Um, it was an incredible show. Honestly, I have seen Def Leppard as far back as. 87 on the hysteria tour when uh, tesla opened for them and they've had some great shows and they've had some shows where they could have done better but this show on may 2nd at the bell center first of all it was sold out which blew my mind i i honestly thought it was going to be papered and and for those who don't understand the term paper that's when promoters and stuff give away free tickets just to fill the venue and make everybody feel nice and warm on the inside and it was sold out uh, 13,000 uh, people showed up for this thing and the band was fantastic. You know, Joe Elliott has lost a little bit of weight. He, he, he wasn't looking so good like two, three, four years ago. Now he just looked good. He sounded good. 
Uh, Vivian Campbell is definitely back. Uh, you know, uh, the whole health issues he's been having obviously are behind him because he just looked good, sounded good, smiling, playing like a maniac. Great set list. Um, played a couple of rare ones. They did uh, Saturday Night uh, High and Dry, and they did okay. uh, Paper Sun. Yeah, you know, uh, they they mixed it up enough. Of course, they, they had to play the hits, but that's just the way it goes fantastic and i am certainly looking forward to them coming back and i and i think you know last year we had twisted sister at heavy montreal that that delivered that sort of uh melodic rock whatever you want to call it. i think def leppard would definitely be a band that heavy montreal should consider one year because they'll get the crowd going they will definitely get the get the crowd going so yeah yeah and i mean the one thing that def leppard has that you know they have the hardcore fans like like you and i who want to hear all those rare old cuts but you know more importantly the general public just love def leppard and and i think that they really appeal to the masses and and that's that's a great thing when you're looking to bring people to uh you know a festival and i think they would be also just a great addition that the moms would love the the kids mm -hmm. would love you know everyone uh universal hard rock band that, that so many people love and i think they'd yeah. be great on heavy montreal their, their songs just tra transcend generations and musical genres you know I, I again i'll reference twisted sister they came on and you had a bunch of metal heads and younger kids who didn't know and then all of a sudden they hear i want to rock and they go oh yeah, I know that one. Then they hear we're not going to take it and they go, mm, yeah, uh, I know that one. And they're into it. And I think Def Leppard is that kind of band where they'll play a couple of songs like High and Dry and Paper Sun and fans will go, yeah, okay, whatever. And then all of a sudden they'll hit Pour Some Sugar on Me or Fooling. And then you'll just see 40,000 people go, yeah, I'm with you. And I think it'd be a great addition. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that'll happen. All right, excellent. And again, we had Rich Ward on the, the show earlier. What we're going to do right now is play another one of Rich's songs. This is from his other band, Stuck Mojo, and this is going way back. This is a classic from the, the mid-90s, again, by one of the, the first bands to combine hip-hop and rock. And, and this song is called Mental Meltdown by Stuck Mojo. Play, play, play. 
What you just heard was a little more Rich Ward that was Mental Meltdown by his band Stuck Mojo, who are now back together with the original lineup in the studio with Andy Sneap. And wow, can't wait to hear what they come up with this time. So great stuff. Did you just say Andy Sneap? Yeah. That is great. What he did with uh, Accept, he took that band basically out of the ashes and rebuilt them into a bloody machine. So if he's going to do that with Stuck Mojo, I'm in. I want to hear that. Absolutely. He did some great work with Accept. He's worked with bands like Arch Enemy. Uh, just such a talented guy. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm psyched to hear what he, uh, what he does with Stuck Mojo, which is, you know, definitely different style than some of these bands he's uh, recently been working with. But he did work with Stuck Mojo back in the day. So, um you know, he does know these guys. And, and so not, not only is it a reunion of the original members of Stuck Mojo, it's also a Stuck Mojo reunion with Andy. So exciting stuff. Can't wait to hear what they come up with. Uh, I also wanted to mention, you know, John Ostrowski, known to you guys by uh, the name Astronomy. Obviously, and Mitch, I know you know John, obviously his involvement with Talking Metal uh, for the first five years, you know, we're going on 10 years, was a real 50-50 thing with me. And in some ways, John, just because of the way he looks and his whole get up and attitude and stuff, I feel like when we'd go out in public, he was more recognized than, than I was, uh, which is totally cool. I thought that was great. But um, I would, I've had a number of people ask me what his deal is and if he's even a part of talking metal anymore. Uh, and I just wanted to say that, you know, John and I hadn't really spoke for a while and, and we recently caught up 
um, at that metal show when Ace was there. And, you know, he, he apologized. He's had some, some personal stuff going on. And uh, he's just so busy with Ace and his real job and working at Gibson that um, there isn't a lot of time left in his schedule for talking metal. And uh, I basically told John, I said, you know, a guy who's been one of my best friends since 1987, I said, well, you just tell me when you're ready to come back to talking metal because, you know, I can't keep asking him to do do it, uh, you know, and and – and uh, that's something I've done a lot of lately, and um, he just uh, doesn't have the time, quite frankly. And he says he wants to get back to it at some point. So I just wanted to put it out there that there's an open invitation to him come, to come back in any type of involvement with it, you know, that he wants, whether that's a small involvement or a big 50% involvement like it used to be back in the day. He is welcome back here at any time. Yeah, that's good to hear. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And also, what else did I want to mention? I think, oh, yeah, that we have Talking Metal t-shirts for sale in the merch section on TalkingMetal.com. Please check out Mitch's podcast, which is one-on-one with Mitch LaFon. It's on Spreaker, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeart. And uh, it's great stuff. Mitch delivers always a weekly, sometimes bi-weekly show. And there's usually, what, two interviews in, in the show? Or are you sticking well, with one actually, now? Well, no, I've I, I sort of changed the format. Uh, I'm going to go down to one interview per show, and I'm going to try to do a show just on Monday rather than two. Uh, I just felt that some of the artists were getting lost in the mix and I didn't think that was fair. You know, I would do an interview with whatever Joey Kramer and uh, maybe a guy from Anthrax and stick them on the same episode and uh, Brave Words or Blabbermouth or any of these would pick up on just one and sort of ignore the other. And I didn't think that was that was right. So I'm going to stick to to one interview. And also, I think shows that were an hour and a half probably were a little bit too long. So I'm going to try to stick to one interview, half an hour, 45 minutes, do it once a week. And uh, we'll see how that goes, uh, especially during the summer months. Uh, it'll give me a little break and not keep me uh, as busy all the time, which will be nice for me as well. And, uh, you know, um, uh, over on the YouTube page, maybe I'll throw some leftover interviews or some extraneous or other stuff up there just to, to keep that, that exciting too. But no, for the podcast, I, I'm going to go to one guest uh, once a week. I think that's, that's best for, for everyone. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And Don Dawkins, can't wait to hear that interview. That that should be that should be great. And I think it's I think, you know, kind of to circle back to that, what you were saying about the the George Lynch stuff. It is interesting because I do think that a lot of times when I hear an artist say, oh, well, it's it's the, the media, you know, manipulating stuff. When I hear a lot of times when I hear that, I don't believe it. But in Dawkins case, I do feel like there's. There's this constant um, push, and I would say even with Kiss too, you know, to to bring up the negative and to to get people, oh. you know, talking shit about ex members and and whatnot, and and I think that's great. I, I can't wait to hear Don talk about George Lynch in a positive light. Yeah, and, and you know, you're very right also about Kiss, and and a lot of it, I really feel, is in how you ask the question, and then a lot of the interviews 
or interviewers are really like, so tell me some dirt about Ace. Tell me some dirt about Peter, you know, and, and, and with Dawkins, tell me some dirt about George. Is it true that he used to spit on your back? And it's, and it's of course, uh, you're going to, of course, answer it honestly and say, yeah, he did. And yes, and then it just becomes this negative stuff. And, and I wanted the interview to be different. I didn't want another one of Don Dawkins says, George, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and we also got him to say some some great stuff about um, Jeff Pilson. He talks a lot about uh, Jeff's uh, ability to to learn any uh, recording thing from four track to eight track to twelve track. But talks about the, how the different instruments he plays, how vocally we compared him to Michael Anthony. That his backing vocals were as important to the Dawkins sound as Michael Anthony's was to Van Halen. And I think it's just refreshing to hear, you know, 20 years on uh, Don talking about these guys and saying how important they were to the band rather than, no, there'll never be a reunion. And it's not Don's fault. It, it's a lot of times it's the that's the question that the interviewer asks and that's the response that they're trying to elicit. And I just want it to be different. Cool. Uh, and I think I think, you know, it was a good chat with Don and. It'll be a great show in Montreal. They've got Mark Bowles in the band, who, of course, sang with Uli John Ross, uh, Ingve Momstein, uh, and a bunch of other bands. And it's Don was very honest about it. He said, listen, I got Mark because he can sing and he can fill in those high spots that I can't hit anymore. And um, the band just really does sound bigger and better these days and so you know no it was it was a very positive chat and and I, i'm looking forward to uh, getting that out there for fans to hear and i'm looking forward to august 9th when them with warrant and within temptation lamb of god and slipknot all share a stage i mean you know what better band to open for slipknot than warrant <laughs> very good yeah yeah, that'll, be, that'll, that'll be a fun night that yeah. you know nuclear assault cold chamber then dock and warrant lamb of god slipknot i mean hello yeah <laughs> that, no. that is gonna be some very eclectic performances right there for you absolutely hey and while we're uh we're, we're having you as our co-host here on talking metal you're the kiss expert i always need to check in with you on on kiss news what it seems like there's a lack of news lately what what is going on it seems kind of quiet what are what are paul and gene currently doing do you think you know you're very right it, it is really quiet they did the south american tour uh they've got a european sort of summer vacation coming up uh, in terms of touring but that's really about it. There doesn't seem to be any news on the Kiss movie that you wanted the best, you got the best, which they announced a couple of years ago. There seems to be no movement on that. There seems to be no movement on Kissology 4. Uh, there seems to be absolutely no talk about um, a new Kiss album. Uh, there was some rumors of a new Paul Stanley album. I haven't heard anything recently. It, yeah. it really seems as though... We're doing these summer vacations, and then we just there's an abyss. There just there really doesn't seem to be anything planned. Now, of course, uh, Kiss doesn't let stuff uh, go unplanned. I'm sure they've got something concocting and blah blah. blah and they just haven't released it to anybody yet. But uh, for the general fan, it seems to be go see them in Europe this summer, and hey, we'll see you eventually. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. You know. And they've got their L.A. Kiss team, which 
Um, speaking of an abyss, they have definitely fallen into one. Uh, they can't win. Uh, I, I really think that that's going to be their last last season. Uh, AMC was wise enough to bail out after one. I, I think Gene, Paul, and Doc are going to bail out after two, but who knows? But Paul has said that they're doing another season of the sh- of the TV show, right? So are they are they getting picked up by another network or something? You know, I I have no idea that they might be just filming it themselves and we'll throw it up on a YouTube right. channel, they're which just- I think is what they did for season one, and then they you know sold it or did some sort of distribution deal with it with AMC. Interesting stuff. We do have the Scooby Doo movie coming up, so oh, can, I guess you're look right about that. <laughs> that Kiss and Scooby Doo. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and as far as a second season of of the the Ki- L.A. Kiss, or I think that's mostly wishful thinking. But who knows? There there doesn't seem to be all the excitement and all the pomp and circumstance of years past. Yeah, there there is the Kiss cruise, the Kiss Alive uh, cruise coming up, but. There, there doesn't seem to be a long-term uh, commitment to anything. So who knows? You know, at, at what, 63, 64, um, uh, I certainly can excuse them from planning 10 years down the road at this point. Maybe it's time that they uh, kick up their heels and then take some time off and just, you know, enjoy what KISS was at this point. Absolutely. Great. Well, Mitch, thanks for joining us as co-host and also thanks – for conducting the interview we're about to hear with Chris Impelitary and Rob Rock of the band Impelitary. We're going to hear some classic music by them right now going into the interview. We're going to hear Stand in Line off the Stand in Line record by Impelitary. And then we'll end today's show after Mitch's interview with these guys with this song Emperor of Lies, which is off the new studio album by Impelitary, which is called Venom, right? Yes, Venom, like the band, but right uh, they're not singing about Kronos. They're, they're doing their own thing, of course. Excellent. Hey. Cool. So here's a little Impelitary, followed by Mitch's interview with them, and then again ending with some new music by them. Okay, thanks, Mitch. You're very welcome.
speaking with Chris and Rob from Impel Itari. Is that is that how you say the name? Perfect pronunciation. Huh? You did better than I do. There I you can't go. pronounce my own name, but you did it. Impelitary. Impelitary. There you go. Uh, band's been around since 1988, uh, Chris. Long storied career. New album is Venom. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we start there? Um, who comes up with the, the the music first or the concept for the album? Is it you, Chris, that brings it over to Rob, or do you sort of both get together and say, "Hey, it's time." Well, I mean, we've been writing partners for pre-Impelitary release of 87. We were in a band called Vice together. Right. So we kind of grew up, musically speaking, in the clubs. And so musically, the way at least our relationship works is a lot of times I'll write the music, come up with a riff or whatever, and then I give it to Rob. And he basically has carte blanche, do whatever you will. And, you know, um, sometimes I'll say, hey, listen, this is kind of a melody I heard in my head when I was playing this riff. Right. And, you know, sometimes I go, oh, that's great. And other times I go, oh, that suck, you're horrible. Stop trying to be a singer. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and so he'll do, it, he'll do his thing. So to be honest, I mean, it always starts with me, yes, writing the music. And then I give that to Rob and then he does his, his magic. And, and that's how it becomes impelitary. Is that about right, Rob? Yeah, yeah, it's a little, a little deeper than that, I think, because, uh, you know, Chris comes up with great riffs and stuff, and then he does hands it off to me, and I try to come up with two or three melody ideas, and then I present him my best one, and if he likes it, that's the end of it, he can go with it, you know? But if he has an idea, like he said, from, from riffing and from writing the song, he'll say, you know, why don't you try this or something? And, you know, a good part of the time, it's a great it's a great melody, and then I'll take that and run with it. So it's and then he comes up with some working titles too, and end up being the titles yeah. that we use, like like Venom from what started from a working title. So yeah, and they, you know, it's, so go ahead. We just we just our main thing between Chris and I is we want longevity and since day one, and longevity means good songs. So it doesn't to us it doesn't matter who comes up with the idea. The best idea is what we want to go with, and that's I think that's how we've been able to to continue writing albums after albums because you concentrate on the songs. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the, the last album, Wiccan Maiden, was in 2009, a little six-year break or gap, however you want to qualify it. Uh, what made you decide that, okay, 2015 is the time? Uh, who came up with the, 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 it's now time to record? Chris? Well, well, <laughs> Um, actually started getting called from some of the labels mm-hmm. saying, Hey, we want another impelitary record. You know, Rob had been working on a solo band. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a, a side project um, called Animetal USA, which is really anime centric and really designed for or, or targeting a specific market, which was Japan. Right. Um, and originally I was going to do the record much sooner with Rob. I, I really wanted to follow up with Wicked Maiden around 2011 because, you know, we try to have these two and a half year windows um, however, in that cycle, um, you know, the animal thing I thought was going to be a project, it ended up turning into three and a half years, right? You know, it, it was a really successful project in Japan. So that was taking a lot of my time and, and Rob was busy with his stuff. So it wasn't intentful, but it was, there was a blessing, um, because it took so long, I had written a lot of riffs that were basically sitting, collecting dust, and it gave me time to get away from them. You know, because one of the problems as a writer, you know, you write something and you often think, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. This is awesome. People are going to love this. And, and it's not until you get away from it, you know, start working on other music or do other projects 
come back to it with fresh ears and realize, oh my gosh, that's horrible. What was I thinking? So with this record, because we had that break, we were able to listen to a lot of these original ideas and say, oh my gosh, that's really good or that's terrible. And I think that's really was a blessing having that six-year window. Yeah, it really was. And of course, uh, Anna Metal was uh, produced by Marty Freeman, formerly of Megadeth. Uh, did you get a chance to work with him at all on the music or was it one of these situations? Of course. No, okay. of course. Of course. Marty on the first Animal record, Marty sent all the demos to me. I mean, he basically demoed all of that because anime, it's, you know, they have a very um, popular culture. Right. And there's famous anime music that's been written for anime movies and television. So what Animella USA were doing is they were following an original Japanese band in the early 90s called Animetal. Right. And it was Sony's idea to put together an American version of this. Um, and they wanted to put together big names, and they selected everybody. Han selected, you know, Rudy Sarzo, myself, um, you know, Scott Travis originally, mm-hmm. and Mike Vissera. And, and basically the idea was just basically um, – kind of combined famous heavy metal riffs of other bands like Black Sabbath, Ozzy, stuff like that. And it'd have Mike sing anime music over it and then let me do my thing. So that's how it, it initiated. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs> well, it's not a problem. I mean, is, is that project, because I, I actually interviewed Rudy about it. Is the project done or is there something that you might pick up in like two or three years again and say, hey, it's time for another one? You know, I, I honestly don't. I'm told by the management group and the label that there is going to be another record. I think they've signed with Warner Music for us. Wow, that's um, cool. But Impelitary is my priority. I mean, yeah. the thing I've got with Rob, that takes precedence over everything. So if I have time, if we're on break, you know, then then yeah, maybe. But if, if not, Impelitary is first. Yeah, and let's get back to, to that, the new album, uh, Venom. Um, you also recruited John, and I don't know if you say Deet or Deddy, who Dead. had a debt, who got a chance to play with Anthrax and Slayer and Iced Earth and, and all those wonderful bands. Uh, tell me a little bit about bringing him, bringing him into the band and what does he add to the sound? Well, I mean, our, our original drummer was Glenn Sobel and I love Alice him. Cooper. He's really good. Yeah, exactly. And, and I love Glenn. I mean, he's been, he's been like one of our brothers. I mean, would you, would you agree with that wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Glenn's been, been with us for quite a while. And, and he, time. by the way, I, I, I know him and I've had a chance to meet him and hang out with him. He is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. And in terms of what he does on drums, especially with Alice Cooper, holy mackerel. I mean, what a talent. What a talent. Yeah. Absolutely. You're, you're right on the money, Mitch, with that. And, you know, that was a, a big criterion for us because within Pelletier, I mean, I've, I've had the fortune, so has Rob. We've all played with some amazing drummers. You're right. Rob played with Tommy Aldridge and Driver. Yep. You know, I had Pat Torpid from Mr. Big. Yep. People don't even realize when we first robbed, do you remember when we first did the demo for Grin and Barrett? Do you remember who the drummer that was demoing who was coming over to your apartment at that time in L.A.? Yeah, yeah, I do. You remember yeah, Eric from Singer? Kiss. From yeah, Kiss. Yeah. And so one and only Eric Singer. There you go. Yeah, exactly. So we've been around a lot of great drummers, and Glenn was absolutely just, just a great compliment to the band. So, you know, I called Glenn after Wicked Maiden to do Venom, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do it. But he was committed to do the Alice tour because they were out with Motley Crue. Yep. So at that point, I was like, my God, what are we going to do? And Rob had some people. And I, and I thought about, you know, I just come off the road with John Detty. Right. You know, doing Animetal, we did a lot of, you know, like arena dates in Japan. And he was just really great, and I loved Thrash. As a matter of fact, the first record Rob and I did, which is called the Impelitary Black EP, 
that record was borderline thrash, which is great melodic vocals and screaming and shredding. Um, so Daddy, I thought, man, what a great way to recapture that fire. Yeah. Oh, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that, so, and plus, yeah. I was just going to say, oh, anybody who can play like uh, Charlie Benente uh, is definitely a talent. I mean, <laughs> anybody who can, you know, drum along to what he's done is, is definitely worth having on your team. Right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was, definitely. he was, I mean, you know, what's interesting about Venom, mm-hmm. it, and again, it's, it's really important because Impelitary is a band. It's, you know, you got four guys making equal contribution and John, he's the foundation, right? The drums. Right. And because he had just finished touring with Anthrax and he did some dates with as Slayer's drummer, mm-hmm. he was just on fire. So we brought him in and, and man, in the studio, he killed it. It just, everything came to life. It was like, all four of us, the synergy, you know, all the sum of all parts was just so much greater than any one of us. And I think it really started with his drum tracks. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, hold on a second here. Uh, yeah, you, we, we've mentioned Asia with Animental and stuff, but, but the band itself has focused a lot on sort of the Asian markets. Is there going to be more of a push on, on the North American market with this release? Is there going to be a, a North American tour? Well, well, I'm talking to you. <laughs> True. <laughs> For the True first enough. time, right? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm in yeah, Montreal. Absolutely. The, yeah. The, oh, okay. The, the answer is yes. Okay. We are definitely trying to push for an American and European full-blown tour. Um, we are absolutely releasing our record for the first time in years in the United States, Europe, Canada, everywhere. Um, and obviously, Frontiers are doing a great job of bringing this to the market. I mean, we've got still about three and a half weeks, I think, to the U.S. release, mm-hmm. and we've got three new music videos coming. Um, so it should be really exciting. I, I'm a little nervous. I don't know how people are going to respond to us. You know, I, I don't know if they're going to love us or they're going to hate us. But either way, we're going to definitely attempt this. Well, I th- you know, listen, I think they're going to like it. It's it's, it's really, uh, from what I've heard on the videos, and I've, I've actually had the album sent to me, it, it just full throttle i mean it's 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 non-stop it's in your face it's it's the way it should be um graham bonnet was in the band for a couple of albums uh, what did he bring in terms of vocal prowess to the band and what does it what what does rob bring to the band and now you got um, rob well, on the phone so he's going to uh, hear your answer yeah i mean listen so I'll, I'll tell you basically how Graham ended up in the band originally. Right. When we first did the Impelitary Black EP, um, Rob and I, there's something magical between our chemistry. And I just think it's perhaps because we grew up together as kids playing in bar bands together, playing cover songs. And I think because we shared in that experience, we kind of developed similar musical tastes and also a writing style kind of evolved out of that. Um, but, you know, when with the EP, we had released it, you know, Rob had found another project, I believe it was in Germany, that he was really passionate yeah, about yeah. and decided to kind of follow that path. And at this point, I'm freaking out, going, oh, my God, no, don't leave. I mean, it's like we're, we're starting to blow up. We're, you know, the cover of Circus Magazine, Kerrang! Magazine loves our record, you know, the Impelitary Black E.T. Um, oh, and by the way, as I keep saying Impelitary Black E.T., right. a couple of guys in the media asked me this, and I think it's probably good to bring this up. We did call the Impelitary first album, which is called the Black EP, right. has songs Lost in the Rain, Burning, Playing with Fire, and I'll Be Searching. Right. That was done three years before Metallica's Black album. 
<laughs> just right. that present, right? And, and, and as a fun fact, the Black Album is actually not called the Black Album. Its, it's real title is Metallica, Metallica. It's a self-titled mm-hmm. album, and fans have decided to call it the Black Album. So um, you, you definitely win. You, you, you got it out there first, and you actually called it the Black EP. <laughs> exactly. So, so but, but going back to the original question, so right. you know, Rob went off to pursue that, and I was, I, I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do. And I had signed with Relativity and Sony Records, and they wanted another record. Right. And so basically, I had um, I had gotten called from um, a band called Alcatraz when I was a kid when I first came to L.A. to um, see if I'd be interested in replacing Ingve Malmsteen. Right. And so basically from that day, I had met Graham Bonnet, and I really liked him, albeit he was quite a bit older than me, you right. know. Um, but I, I liked him, and I thought, you know, this would maybe be a good time to just take a break and just do a side project, you know, until I could figure out what to do. So Impelitary Stand in Line, to be honest, was never supposed to be an Impelitary record. You know, the album, as much as, you know, some people like it, others hate it. And I'm in that group. I mean, sometimes I have periods of time where, where I, um, I like the music, but I also realize that it's not an Impelitary record by any means. Right. You know what I mean? It's really what I started with Rob and everything around, you know, the Grand Bonnet records, you'll hear are much more aggressive. Right. So I was always a metal kid at heart. So... You know, with, with Graham, I mean, what I think he brought to the band, he had such an amazing, unique voice. You know, I really appreciate what he did, especially with, like, Rainbow, Michael Shanker Group, Alcatraz. And I really am indebted to him because, to be honest, I think one of the big reasons we're popular in Japan right. is because of Graham Bonnet. You know, it was almost like, you know, our first Impelitary Black EP did really well in Japan, but Stand in Line was monstrous. And I think it was because... You know, Graham had been in Rainbow, and at that time, Rainbow were massive. Right, I you know, and, and of course, yeah, and so I think what happened is because Graham played with Michael Schenker Group, Richie Blackmore, um, Ingve, Steve Vai, and then he was he joined Impelitary for that project, I think people just embraced me. It was It almost didn't matter if I was good or I sucked. They were just making me a new, you know, guitar thing, hero, whatever they were calling me, right? So I, I really feel indebted, and I think he brought that to us. Right, and then you brought him back in 2002 for System X. Right, and at that point, that's when, you know, and Rob was doing a solo project. So at that point, I always what would it have been like if Graham and I would have done a metal record? Right. You know, Stand in Line is really not by any means a metal record. So System X was every intent of let's do a hardcore metal record. And it was fun. You know, we had uh, Mudrock uh, mixed it from a guy who did produce like Godsmack and Event Sevenfold. Mm -hmm. So... That was it. And, and Graham, I mean, my God, he's, he sings like a lion. You know, he's insanely good. He's so, it was definitely an honor. Oh, absolutely. And, and Rob, uh, you know, yeah. while, while you're off doing those solo albums and, you know, you see the Graham Bonnet albums come out, are you feeling any resentment or are you like, oh, hey, good for him. We were both doing our own thing. Um, or do you sit back and go, man, I could have sang that better. What, what were your reactions? <laughs> No, I've never had any resentment at all, actually. Okay. And when I've heard Graham Bonnet, to me, like Rainbow Down to Earth was one of my favorite albums when I was growing up. Absolutely. Bar none. And when Graham Bonnet, you know, singing with Chris, Stand in Line, I loved that record. To me, you know, to me, it was right up that same alley. And, and I loved that alley. So I really enjoyed the record. And then when Graham did the second one, I'm like, wow, Graham is Graham. I don't think. I don't think Graham Bonnet compares to anybody. His voice, the way he writes, the lyrics, the way he does stuff, 
is very unique. And me as a fan of Graham, I really enjoyed it because I love Chris's playing. So, you know, it was cool to hear for me, but I never had any resentment towards it. And uh, but, okay. I'm just glad that, you know, I'm mentioned in the same breath as Graham Bonnet, one of my childhood heroes. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. But, you know, after you've done Crunch in 2000, um, why did you step away? Well, it's just, you know, we had done Eye of the Hurricane. We did Answer to the Master, Scream and Symphony. We're mm-hmm. doing a lot of stuff. And and I just, I wanted to branch out. Okay. And I didn't know if we were going to just continue down the same path. At that point, I don't think we really had, I think we we're at the end of the deal. I'm not sure where we were at with that situation okay. as far as JVC. But it was just, uh, I just wanted to try something. I, I wanted to continue on with Intellitary and I wanted to, I wanted to do both things, but I think at that point, um, in that time, you know, when you're, if you're in a band, you're in that band and that, that's what you did. Right. And when I did a solo album, I, I don't, I think the, you know, the band vibe was, might've been splintered a little bit. So, you know, Chris, you know, I got Graham to do another record and I was doing my thing and, you know, it's not like today where guys have to do two or three projects just to stay alive, you know? Right, right, right. So I think, uh, I think the the timing of all things just, you know, when you're in the moment and when you're passionate about what you write and what you want to do, it's just, things just happen the way they did, I think. Yeah. Hey, Mitch, if yeah. I can interject too, though, but I will say this as far as what Rob brings. I mean, if I really, and not because he's in the band again, right? But if you really listen, he started the band, mm-hmm. he'll end the band. I mean, the reality is I really think he's the voice of Impelitary. You know, I think he always has been, always will. You know, it was always the, you know, the the core sound of what we created with that first Impelitary Black EP. Especially go listen, like, I mean, kids that don't know about us, just go on YouTube and listen to songs like Lost in the Rain, right? right? If you listen to Lost in the Rain, it's almost like what Venom is today. It has that same aggression, insane singing. I mean, Rob is singing, you know, in the stratosphere, Tremendous power like a tenor, right? Great vibrato, all of that stuff. And, you know, the solos are all crazy. It's shredding. It's very technical, very classically based. So, you know, I mean, you almost hear where we are today. Mm-hmm. It just seems like it, it's, it's, it has uh, continuity, right? And it just, it, it's like a new step of growth for the band, but yet we're still in the same original path. We're sticking to our guns, if you will. Yeah, and that- I think that chemistry goes beyond just playing together too. It's, I don't know. We're kind of like brothers, man. <laughs> At least that's the way I feel. It's like, no matter what happens, no matter what goes on, we're, we're always going to be friends. We're always going to be close. And when we write together, it's, it, it's just, it works. And it, we both feel it. And it's, it's an amazing chemistry there. Yeah. And it, and it really works. Venom, Venom is again, like I said, it's a great sounding record, Rob. Um, you know, you're, if I can, you, you've, you're, you're a born again Christian. Does yeah. that have any impact on what you write and the lyrical content? Well, I think it does in a in the back of my mind type situation. Okay. But I'm very forward and very vocal about. I I sing from my heart, so whatever's on my heart comes out. I'm not going to put it through a filter just to please a certain set of people. You okay. know. I please myself as an artist. I please God as a, as a, as my own personal thing. And I think it is a personal thing. So, 
you know, when I write songs like Empire of Lies, that's that's talking about basically the media right. lying to you. You know, you get one story from Fox, one from NBC, one from CNN. You know, it's in building nations with that. And songs like Domino Theory, where it's, where it's about modern terrorism and stuff like that. I'm not sure those are Christian-themed lyrics, but right. it's honest. It's what's going on in the world today. And I think that's, to me, is real. That's what I think about. And when I hear the music, you know, and and if I have like I've had a title Domino Theory for a while, it fit the song, and so I just go with it, man, because it's working and it's 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 good chemistry and it fits the song. And if I'm enjoying it and writing it, and I I believe in it, so to me that's the criteria. If I believe in the songs we're writing, then that that should be enough, you know. Yeah, absolutely. May I ask you one more question about that, or or is it, or is that yeah, too, too, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times when people get to that point where they become born again, they've gone through some kind of struggle, or things just aren't working, and you just need that 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 rebirth, that restart. Uh, what was it that got you to that point where you said, "Okay, uh, it's time for a change and a positive change." Well, I grew, I grew up in a Christian home, so okay. I, I've always been surrounded by it. Okay. And, and it's just, I think it's, I learned it, I believe it, I live it, and it's just a part of my life. I really didn't have that catastrophic moment. Oh, okay. You know, where I switched over or anything. It's always been a part of me, and it's and it still is, you know? Okay, good. Um, where do we go from here? So so Venom comes out in, in April, and then... Um, what are the plans for touring? What are the plans for, do we make a live album? Do we start working on the next one? What's, what's sort of the immediate future hold? Well, the immediate, oh, well we're, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, Chris. <laughs> I was going to say, I know the immediate future is Japan. And, you know, the end of May, we're going to, we're going to get together and rehearse for that and, and go toward Japan. Okay. And that's, that's what's, that's what's in concrete at this moment. And the future plans, I'll give you over to Chris. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Well, um, two things. I, I just want to interject something, too, because, you know, I, I kind of struggle with this whole thing. You know, we get this um, label recently, because Rob, and by the way, Rob, that was a really good answer, because I think that's truthful, and I love that. Um, you know, there's been a misconception with our band. Okay. You know, I, I've been doing interviews recently. A lot of people go, so you guys are known as a Christian metal band. I'm like, what? We've, we've never been a Christian rock band, ever. Okay, and, you know, and by the way, I wasn't I wasn't suggesting that at all. I was just uh, asking. Oh, the okay. Yeah, but where I was going with that, but I encourage that. And listen, if you have a strong um, belief, right, and you're you know again you're inherently uh, positive and supportive to your faith, stick with your guns. Don't change. You know, I mean, I encourage that. It's like, look, a lot of guys I see them putting down bands like Striper, and I used to laugh at that. And I'm going. So who's the people that's doing this? You know, the death metal bands? Mm-hmm. It's like, screw them, because I'm, I'm listening to them, and 90% of them that I listen to, I think, fuck. They can't sing. Yep. They can't play. You know, and I'm not saying all of them. Some of them are very good musically. Of course. But, you know, it's the whole battle of good and evil, and I'm always like, dude, you know who wins in the end, right? Good. Yeah. <laughs> Every time. So I'd rather be on the good side, buddy. You know? But anyways, you know, so I think people, if they're Christians, stick with your belief, man. That's awesome. Oh, you know, yeah. But, yeah, it just, it just, I, I get concerned because sometimes, you know, we're writing about things that might not be perceived in a positive light from some of that's Christian. I don't want to offend them. You know, I just want them to realize that, yes, Rob's absolutely Christian. I've even practiced. I've been in and out of it, right? 
So, you know, and then again, you know, Glenn Sobel, Glenn was Jewish, <laughs> you know, so everybody has their beliefs and we're trying to make certain that everybody understands that, you know, you should stand behind what you believe in, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And it wasn't any kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, political question or any kind of controversial question. It's just, um, you know, I, I, I've read over the years that a lot of the lyrics that, that Rob has written has had that kind of message into it. And uh, I was just curious if that was uh, true or if that was important to him. And, uh, you know, that, that's about it. So, yeah. so please, so please don't misconstrue uh, my intention on that. But um, Oh, not at all. Not at all. I was actually glad you asked it. Okay, good, 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 good. Oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm never one to try to offend when doing a, an interview. Um, so let's just finish with this then. Uh, six years have passed since Wicked Maiden. Are we going to wait six more years for the next one? Or are you sort of hoping to get onto that sort of two-year album tour cycle kind of thing? Well, we are just in the beginning stages Absolutely. of this record. I mean, we haven't even released the record yet. Absolutely. I will tell you, as a band, Rob, myself, James, and John, we are ecstatic with the response we're getting for this record. It, some of it, to be honest, is a little intimidating to me because I'm thinking, my God, I hope we can live up to the hype. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and, and so having said that, the object right now is to spend the next year, two years, three years, whatever, promoting Venom touring any place that will have us will come mitch it might be your backyard but it's gonna be a great tank party we're there well i you know i hope it is uh in montreal we have this festival called heavy montreal that takes place every year and i'm kind of hoping that you know the the 2015 lineup is all set in stone but i'm certainly would love to see you here in 2016 absolutely i think it would well, be listen, great for whoever the promoter is throw yeah, our wherever we'll go we got anywhere, following, we're there well, the promoter is Ivenko, so I'll have to uh, contact, put you in contact with them. But listen, last year there was Metallica and 80,000 people showed up. This year it's Slipknot and uh, Lamb of God and Meshuga and uh, just a ton of great bands. And I, I think you guys would fit right in. Um, any last words? Rob? Well, I don't know. I would just like to thank the fans out there that have followed us all these years and, and waited has it really been six years between albums? <laughs> six years, yeah. Six years for another album. It's like we thought you retired. Sorry about that one, but uh, <laughs> but I really think they're gonna love what we came up with. I mean, we're really really excited about it, and the album is just really kicking hard, and yeah. everyone that hears it loves it. So I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking, let's go out and play for all the fans that we can, and I just thank you for for all your support for all these for all this time, you know. And Chris, I'll ask you this. Is the album a lost art? Uh, you know, in this day of YouTube and iTunes singles and EPs, uh, is putting together a collection of 10 songs, 12 songs, something still worth doing? Or should we just go to EPs from now on? It's worth doing if you're passionate about it. Okay. So for us... Um, I can say that we wrote a body of music that we were really proud of and we loved. And, you know, we mastered and performed it, recorded it, and now we're going to play it live. And I think, to be honest, I mean, basically doing that um, was really about being true to ourselves. It wasn't about, are we going to sell a million records and make $10 million off this record and tour cycle? You know, we've done really, really well in Japan, both monetarily and in sales, right? Probably sold well over 
one or two million records just in Japan alone. Wow. So we've done very, very well. And But the reality is at this point, it's about having fun now. So we're making music, and if it's 10 songs, so be it. If it's three songs in the future, we love them and want to tour behind them, that, that, that would take place or take precedent as well. So I don't have a safe answer to right. say is it a lost art. I mean, from a monetary perspective, I mean, this record, we didn't, we didn't do a cheap record. This was not a record where we did in our bedrooms. Right. You know, we went into NRG Studios, which is where Linkin Park did their latest record, Slash did his records there. We did Venom in that same room. Right. So, you know, the, the record budget was a very large budget. This was not some, you know, we're making a record for $15,000. You know, this would be in the tens of thousands, not well over 100 grand, all in with real costs. Right. So, you know, again, will we ever get the money back? Don't know, don't care. All I know is we're really proud of this, and now we've got a tremendous body of work we can share with the entire world and tour behind. Yeah, and, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Chris, Rob, thank you. Uh, it's been a great pleasure. And uh, hopefully, we'll, hopefully we'll see you in, in Montreal, either at the Heavy Montreal Festival, and if, and if not, hopefully at, at the Bell Center, opening for someone. It'd be great. That would be I nice. love that. That would be great. Yeah, I look forward to meeting you out there. Oh, absolutely. Thank, thank you, guys.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.